Hey, let's uh, let's take a moment to pray before we dig in. Um, God, uh, would you would you speak to our hearts? We don't want to take our trouble with us. We want to change. We want to grow. We want to become. So give us ears to hear and eyes to see and soft hearts to receive. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we are um, on this series. We just started last week called uh, Extreme Influence. And the idea is that um, we want to be men and women who influence. And almost every, we said this last week, everybody, everybody has that desire. It's, it's not all, it's not a Christian thing. It's a human thing to want to... Um, have an effect on the character, the development, the behavior of someone else. Uh, it's, it's human nature, right? We all have people that we want to influence and be a part of their lives. And I think it's a God-wired thing. When we say it's human nature, we mean God created us that, that way. And, and, of course, there's nobody probably more invested than in influencing others than parents, right? Because they're, they've been entrusted. And when we do the baby dedications, you know, you have to raise your children in the way they should go. And that, that's just another way of saying influence. So influence is such a big deal. It's motivational for so many things. I just want to make sure we're kind of on the same page. I think it's the real reason for some, for some professions. I think influence is the real reason why middle school teachers teach. Because I can't think of another reason for them to do it, right? It's the real reason little league baseball coaches coach. Right? I mean, they're not, if they have a winning record, so What? It doesn't matter. All that matters is the kids growing and becoming and, and learning and experiencing what good sportsmanship is. And, yeah, and learning how to win and how to lose. And, and Sunday school leaders and teachers, those, God bless you people who do that, right? Because I can't think of, we don't hand out awards. We don't pay our Sunday school teachers here, leaders. Um, so they must want to influence these lives. And, and the reason, there's a free counseling center. I'll make sure you know this. There's a free counseling center at, at Calvary Evangelical Free Church on Thursday nights. It's not just theirs. It's a lot of churches working together. But it, it runs all volunteers. Some of them are professional, and some of them are, are lay volunteers who have been trained. But why would you do that? Why would you give up Thursday night after Thursday night unless you want to influence marriages and pe- help people get through difficult times and and I think there's something inside of all of us that goes, yeah, I want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of something bigger, a change. And like I said, parenting, I mean, the whole goal of parenting is to influence well. And just so you know how the pattern goes, it starts off with controlling well, right? I mean, when the little kids, you don't influence babies. You control them. You tell them when to lay down, when to eat. When, I mean, they tell you some things too, but you work on this partnership out and you have lots of control. But the older they get, the more you're moving to, oh, I hope I influenced you. I hope I was an influencer because you can't control them forever. It doesn't work that way. So we said last week, the whole point of the message was the starting place for influence is love. That this is the foundation that you can't, you know, the, the way of saying it is, you know, they won't care what you have to say until they know that you care. Right? And this is love. It's, if, if, you, if they know you love them, they're mar- far more likely to listen to you now, Paul had a different way of saying it. He puts it in one verse, and actually the first three, but the one verse just kind of summarizes it. First Corinthians 13, he said, "If I could speak all the languages of earth, right? Brilliant! I'm a linguist, and of the angels. Really, I'm spiritually gifted. I can speak every angelic language." And then he says, "But didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. I would have no influence." without love. No matter how eloquent my words are, I'd have no 
influence without love is, is what he's saying. And I was thinking, how do, we, how do we embrace this in a way that, just a little out of the box, what's he, what's he trying to say? Is there a visual we can get? And I was, what came to my mind was, do you remember the Dead Poets Society, the movie with that, with that title? Robin Williams was in it. He was a teacher, right, in an all-boys school. He was the new guy, and he, he came in, and I'm telling you, when you watch the movie, you get the passion from Robin Williams in this role of, of loving the guys, Right? And it comes out more and more how much he loves him. And as he teaches, his influence just goes up and up. And there's this clip I'm going to show you where he started to develop this relationship with them. And they're sitting in a classroom and he goes, you'll hear him say, huddle up. And they, they, you know, teachers don't do that in the middle of a classroom. And they all huddle around him and he teaches them something. And I want you, when you watch this clip, I know you may have seen it before, I want you to watch the boys' faces and see how they captured this influence that's going on because of the quality of their relationship with them. Watch this. We don't read and write poetry because it's cute. We read and write poetry because we are members of the human race. And the human race is filled with passion. Medicine, law, business, engineering, these are noble pursuits and necessary to sustain life. But poetry, beauty, romance, love, these are what we stay alive for. To quote from Whitman, O me, O life of the questions of these recurring, of the endless trains of the faithless, of cities filled with the foolish, what good amid these, O oh me, O oh life? Answer, that you are here, that life exists and identity, that the powerful play goes on and you may contribute a verse. That the powerful play goes on and you may contribute a verse. your verse be so that's that's such a powerful clip to see those kids responding to him and I was thinking you know it's, it's it's all about love what would that same scene look like if he didn't love them how would they receive that exact same moment from him and I thought it might be something like this I'd love Charlie Brown's teacher. Wah, 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 wah. Much like you are here sometimes. Wah, 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 wah. Doug Mathers is talking again. <laughs> well, you had to do it, didn't you? I heard it, yeah. So I, we should, do you want to all do it? No, we won't. We don't have time for that. So what, I think that's what Paul's saying. Without love, no matter how much truth I give, no matter how much uh, wisdom I have to give, Paul's saying, I would just be a noisy gong. I would just be a wah, 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 wah. You can do that later on on your own. Right? Because why? Because the starting place of, of influence is love. Right? So the problem is, while love is indispensable, it is absolutely indispensable, love is not enough. 
Love's just not enough. It's not enough for, for teachers to love. They've got to teach. It's not enough for coaches to love their kids. They've got to coach them in something. They will hear from the parents if they don't, right? Leaders must lead and counselors must guide. Just having warm emotional cookies and, and saying, I really do care about you, I really do love you, isn't going to do it. There has to be more to it. Parents who love their kids but don't raise their kids spoil their kids. Love's not enough in parenting. There needs to be some skill. There needs to be investment. There needs to be hard conversations. Somebody needs to get grounded at least once, you know, and, and, and so you have to kind of go through those, those things. Friends who love their friends but never tell them the truth because it's an unpleasant moment and never confront them with something aren't really, I mean, they have emotional cookies. They love each other kind of, but, but it's not the kind of friendships I want to have. I want something deeper, more sustaining, and now don't all be my friend and confront me after the service, but that it's richer than that. Pastors who love their church but avoid difficult truths, that's a losing recipe for the future. It just, it just is. Love is indispensable, but love is not enough. So tonight we want to talk about the next requirement, and the next requirement for influence is integrity. It's integrity. It's... it's um, who we are. In fact, here's how the dictionary says it. It's the quality of being honest and having strong moral principles, moral uprightness. That's, that would be people of high integrity. People of low integrity would be low in those things. They would have a, they would have a lack, lack of honesty and a lack of strong moral principles. right? So when you type in synonyms for, for integrity, it comes up with honest, honorable, principled, ethical, moral, virtuous, sincere, trustworthy. Right? You could run through a grid. Does that describe you? Because I'll tell you what it does describe. It describes exactly the person God wants us to become, wants me to be. You know, Galatians 5.23, look at the overlap here, 5.22 and, and 23. The Holy Spirit, so God, produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Seems to me like integrity and those things go right Together, that's, that's the kind of person God wants us to be. So last week I asked you, who has had great influence on your life? And when I say great, I don't mean just a lot. I mean positive, right? Because somebody could have great influence in your life for the negative. But I want to know positively, just for you to come in your mind, arrive in your mind with a name or two. Who has had great influence? Here's my bet. Not only do they love you, but you trusted them. Not only did they they love you, but they had some integrity. They had some self-control. They had some gentleness. They had the ability to tell you the truth. There was a reason that you trusted them. It was because of their character, who they were. This is assuming that you opened yourself up to their influence, right? That it wasn't forced upon you, but you you chose their influence. It was because, for some reason, you, you trusted them. So character, C.S. Lewis said, is who we are when no one is looking. It's who we are when no one is, is looking. I've heard that definition years ago, and I hung on to it because, first of all, I was convicted by it. That's painful when no one is looking. It means it can't be a show. It can't be put on and put off. You either have it or you don't, or you're developing it. So in the Bible, there's a relationship between um, Paul 
the, you know, the Apostle Paul and Timothy, who's a younger follower of Christ, who's starting to grow in church leadership. And Paul wrote two letters to Timothy. We call them First and Second Timothy because that was creative. And so there's First and Second Timothy, and they're really letters of influence. He's, they're guiding him. Right? So Paul, the older, the mentor, who Timothy wants influence from Paul, Paul is writing him because that's how they're communicating at this point in time. Right? And, and, and uh, chapter 3 of 1 Timothy, verses 1 through 4, here Paul talks about this integrity piece. He says this, This is a trustworthy saying. If someone aspires to be a church leader, he desires an honorable position. Right? Pause there for a moment. When I read that, I think, nobody told me that. You know, growing up, no one said, you know what, Doug, someday... If you, if you can find your way to being in leadership, you know, that's a good thing. And, 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 and if, if you want to be a leader in church, that's a good thing, right? I always thought there was kind of this guilt message that if you wanted, people had to twist your arm or else you wouldn't really have the Holy Spirit, that it was a bad thing to go, I want to have influence. I want to make a difference. I want to leverage my gifts and abilities. And some of mine are teaching and leading, so I want to use them that way. And he's going, no, that's, it's, if someone aspires to be a church leader, that's a good thing. That doesn't mean we're all supposed to be leaders, but we all should look for how we can help out at, at church. So he's saying that's a really good thing. And then he goes on to talk about a church leader. He says, so a church leader must be a man whose life is above reproach. Okay, pause there again, because this is a culture and time that's different, and men were running everything. It's, it's, it's man there. I don't think that's really the point. Right? We can argue about it later if you want to argue about it, but um, you'll be, I'll just be quiet. Uh, so a church leader must be, a, I, would, I would translate it today, I would say a person, and this is the point, whose life is above reproach. Have you ever heard that saying before? We're looking for someone who is above reproach. Their character is above reproach. If you go to church a lot, you'll hear it because it's a common phrase that we were looking for men and women whose character is above reproach, which um, is kind of a daunting phrase, you know, in your own mind right now, are you above reproach in your life? Above reproach means generally blameless, but not sinless. It can't mean we're sinless, because then nobody can be qualified. I'm fairly sure. I know. I know. I'd have to step down if it's if it's being sinless. But but it's something about being generally blameless that hey, I don't get stuck in my sins, I own them and I admit them and I'm, I'm moving on, I'm becoming what I'm not yet, but, but there's no great undoing moral flaws, there's no duplicity in my life that is so undoing that I shouldn't be in leadership. So it's, it's sort of like this high bar he's setting. And then he says, let's define above reproach a little bit more for men in that time. And we could translate it for women as well, right? He or she must be faithful to his or her spouse. That's a fair request. Unfortunately, it would eliminate a whole bunch of people, I know, you know, because they're not, they haven't been faithful. He must exercise self-control, live wisely, and have a good reputation. Right? This is, this is who you want doing leadership things in, in the church. He or she must enjoy having guests in his home. I, I translate that to, they ought to be friendly. Right? I, 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 when I meet people who are gifted leaders and they're not friendly... That doesn't seem right to me. It doesn't seem to, to go together, but they're supposed to have a little bit of, I'm not saying they're extroverted, but at least friendly. 
guest in his home. And he or she must be able to teach. And that was because leaders in that culture at that time, that was mainly what they did. It was was taught. Of course, now we could say there's a lot of whatever they're called to do, we need to make sure they have the ability and gifts to do those things. He must not or she must not be a heavy drinker, brilliant, or be violent. Again, brilliant. By the way, when you hear about church leaders who are heavy drinkers or cheating on their spouse or violent, doesn't your heart sink a little bit? Doesn't that, doesn't that cause damage? To, to, you just know what's wrong. He must be gentle. Have you ever heard a pastor speak who has no gentleness at all? Don't you read your Bibles, you guys? I'm not you. I'm talking about those pastors. How can you be so mean from the up front? How can you be so mean-spirited in the name of Christ? And I'm not going to mention names, but you've heard it. They can't be quarrelsome. And they can't be in love with money. They can use money because everybody has to, but they're not supposed to be in love with it, which would be true for every single person, right? He must manage or she must manage his own family well, having children who respect and obey him. I think that only applies until they're about 12 and a half years old, right? And then it's like all kids hate their parents, you know, kind of a moment. But, I mean, there is some age limit to, to how these things go. But I think what it really implies when I look for the principle in that is, hey, in the person of integrity in, in a godly way invests in their family appropriately. They have to be well invested in leading their family, right? So, so above reproach, the reason that's such a big deal is because it means they must be worthy of trust. If nobody trusts them, how are they going to have any influence? They can love all they want to, and they can speak in the angelic tongues or every language on earth. But if they're not trusted, they're not going to have the kind of influence that we're looking for people to have. By the way, this is not about church leadership. This is about influence. We're just using the Bible showing us how it works at church. But this is the way it works in all of our lives. right? So this is a really big deal. This integrity piece is a very... Big deal. I'm not trying to beat you up tonight with it, but it is a big deal if you want to have influence in people's lives. And so here's the reason I can show you it's a big deal. Have you ever experienced trust regret? I know I asked you who was a great influence. Now let me just ask you this. Have you given a person an opportunity to speak into your life, to influence you, and you trusted them, and you got trust regret? So I went through that. When Lori and I first got out of, out of college, we went to work, and many of you know this, down in, in a place in the Dominican Republic. And we were hired by a guy, and I wasn't raised in this culture. I was raised in a culture where we just called the minister, minister. I don't think, remember calling him anything. I mean, I don't think I talked to him too often. But it was minister or um, reverend. But, and they'd always say his name with him. But the guy who was in charge of this organization, everybody just called him Pastor which may seem normal to you, depending. To me, that was weird. To me, it was a little bit cultic. But I got over it, right? And, and I went and joined the organization, and, I, and we had an agreement set up about how long we would be there before they brought us back to another job assignment, a different thing. We, we had it all figured out. The only problem is I didn't write it down and make a contract out of it. Because we knew that for a year and a half, we were supposed to do living in a house with kids, and then we were not living in a house with kids. We'd be up in 
Canada, of all places, um, doing some outdoor education, which is what I have a, a degree in, right? When we got to that point, he liked the work we were doing so much that he said, I never said that. You're not going. You're going to stay right where you are in the Dominican Republic, in the mountains, in that home with all those teenagers. And that was okay. I mean, I love the kids. But he blew my trust. Because you said, and I never said that. I was on the phone with you. This is what you said. This is the only reason we came. This was the next step in our career and our education. Blah, blah, blah. No, pastor never said that. Right? So um, I said, well, let me think about that. And I came back later on and I said, Lori and I will give you two more months and then we're done. Well, no, we have a two-year contract. I go, oh, yeah, but that's null and void because you changed. I'm going to go back and go to seminary. I've got plans now. I'm done. Two more months. We'll give it to you full-heartedly. So for the next two months, when he was at chapel speaking, he would always slip in how people who didn't do what he said was God's will for them ended up having accidents, <laughs> getting injured. I'm telling you, I was so furious. I mean, I'm, I'm with, I, 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 we'd walk up the hill where we lived to our house because the chapel's at the bottom, and and I would just go to the room, and Lori would go, don't say anything, don't do anything. And I'm like, because you know what it was? I had trust regret. I was angry because I was hurt. I was angry because I was frustrated. Right? And, and here's what I'll tell you. If you know, if, if you have trust regret, <laughs> I promise you, you'll have scar tissue. Because it It hurts. And it affects everybody. When, when, and you're going to experience it somewhere in life. Your heart is going to get, it won't just leave a mark, it'll leave a scar when it happens to you. So the question is, what, what do we do when our hearts get scarred? What do people do when you have trust regret? And I can promise you that they do this. We all do this. We guard our hearts differently. Right? We, we change. So let me tell you some circles where trust regret occurs. It occurs sometimes between spouses, doesn't it? If you've been through a divorce, you have trust regret. You have scars in your heart. And every so often, someone who's been through a divorce, I'll hear them say, um, and they'll teach it to other people, <laughs> you know what? I'm never going to get married again. You know what? That guy cheated on me. All men are bad. Right? So you see what they've done? They, they go, not that person was bad, and that person cheated on me. All men are now like that guy. And what that is, that's a really big guard around your heart. that You don't want to get hurt again, so you've villainized all men. And probably appropriately, but it's still, the point is not lost. We're all evil and rotten, but, but you, you're, you're guarding so much that you, you could miss it. And by the way, I've heard men say it. All women are crazy. I've been married three times. That's enough of a sample size. <laughs> right? All three of them were, you know, and so... I'm not going to ever get married again. Right? I don't believe in marriage anymore. If you've been burned by your parents, by the way, this is one of the most painful ones. Right? You've got trust regret with your, your parents, people you should be able to trust. But you know, so, you know, one of the reactions to that, to guard your own heart, I'm never going to have kids. I'm not going to do to my kids what my parents did to me. They put up their, the, the walls like that. And we're breaking off all contact with my parents. They're toxic. Right? 
um, other relatives, same kind of thing. Teachers, coaches, friends. When you get betrayed by a friend, you have trust regret with a friend. That's it. I'm doing life on my own. I'm not going to be dependent on anybody. I'm never opening up again. I've now been burned, and I have this scar tissue. So, I, And it's just, your now, by the way, guarding your heart is smart. T- not touching a hot stove the second time is really smart. But you've got to watch for overreaction. Because you can miss out on the very life that you're, you're trying to protect as, as you go forward. So let me give you the one that I had, right? Spiritual leaders. Pastor. You know what I did after that? Well, I did it a little bit before. I don't trust pastors. Right? All pastors to me are suspect by definition. Anybody who goes, I want the world to call me pastor. A suspect, and it's wrong. I, mean, I shouldn't do that. I shouldn't throw them all under the bus. And you know, it's one of the reasons around here, by the way, why it's, it, there's lots of reasons. But one of them is I just don't want you. I don't want that. I don't want to lead by position. I want to lead by something deeper and better than a title. And sometimes pastors have a tendency to throw the pastor card, and then they're firing up. And, and I've done it before, so I know I caught myself. I was like, "Don't do that, Doug." That's a really ugly moment. That's a really bad thing. But that's spiritual. That's where spiritual abuse comes from. But, but I can't throw all pastors in the bus. That's, that's just as much the same thing as I'll never get married again or I'll never love again or I'll never trust again. Okay. By the way, this is why um, James talks to spiritual leaders specifically. In, in James chapter 3, he writes this, Dear brothers and sisters, not many of you should become teachers, right? Leaders, teachers in the church. For we who teach will be judged more strictly. Then he goes on to another topic. right? And, and I've heard people say, wow, you know, Doug, I'm sure glad I'm not a pastor or a teacher. Oh, why is that? Because God's going to judge you more strictly than everybody else. May I just point out something? That is not what it says. It just says we're going to be judged more strictly. It could be all of you judging me every single week. right? You're going to judge me differently than you judge yourselves. It's not that my mor- what's moral for you and me is different because I'm teaching. But because I'm in a position of influence, it's going to have different ramifications. Right? So, so if I have an affair, you find out next week, and I'm not, please, I'm not. Right? But if I have an affair and my marriage hits the rocks and you find out that Doug was off doing things he shouldn't be doing, some of you are going to be just fine and go, you know what, we're all human, he's sinned, he failed, he's a, fa- he's a failure. <laughs> What's new? Right? Others of you are going to be so wounded by it that you'll go, all pastors are cheaters and the church is a joke and I'm done with God. And that's why pastors and teachers are judged more strictly. That's what's at, at, at stake because we're in positions of influence. We've been trusted. So when integrity is absent, trust fails and influence is lost because people close off to you. That's all it is, is people close up, close off. Let me just remind you, if we showed this last week, that there's these fears of, of influence and the, the closer we are to the middle, the greater opportunity you'll have for influence. We'll talk about this wide next week, but family, then friends, then others, and unknowns, and then enemies. Right? That's also the sphere of how much damage you can do when we lack integrity. We will crush our families with a lack of integrity. We will damage our friends 
our co-workers and other people that we know, our churches. And then the unknown people, I know they probably won't be affected very much, and our enemies won't be affected probably in a very negative way either. Other than, oh, look at that, I knew they'd fall. Right? So it's a sphere of imp- impact as well. This is why this is such a big deal. Let me go back to this one for a moment. This is why the more you've lost trust at the center, like you've experienced trust regret in the family system or among your friends, the more damage it'll probably have done in your life. It's just, it's the way it works. I'll just tell you a blessing I have. My, my dad, oh, he's got faults. But he does not lack integrity. He loved my mom. And my siblings, I've learned, are listening in, so I have to be a little more careful what I'm saying, but they would agree with me this. My mom is not easy. My mom was emotional. I mean, I loved her to death. She was emotional. She was crazy. She was up. She was down. She was all over the place. She was erratic. She was illogical. She also loved us like crazy. Right? That's, that's my mom. My dad was so loyal to my mom. I, I, you know, do you ever, I don't know how you feel about your dad. The thought of my dad cheating on my mom is incomprehensible to me. It, it cannot have happened, but I know this. He had opportunity after opportunity, opportunity, because he was an obstetrician, an obstetrician gynecologist. These women loved him. Right? When he's like, your dad is so cool. I'm like, I don't want to hear about this. You know, let's, <laughs> moving on. But I respect my dad so much for that. How, and, and I don't think I've ever caught my dad lying. I don't think I've ever caught my dad minimizing the truth. I don't think I've ever caught my dad exaggerating. That's a great foundation. My, I've never seen my dad drunk. I've barely seen him drink. Right? Until I got older, then he, he He's taking up the bottle now. I don't know what's going on, but every case you'll have a drink, right? Never smoked. I mean, and I'm not saying the people who do those are evil things. I'm saying I've never seen him screw up that way. You know, there's some things he still needs to learn. Of course, we're all human. But it was a great foundation for me. So it's a big deal because if I, some of you know, you came out of family systems that are so, there's no trust, there's no stability, there's no, no integrity. And everything has become shaky in your family because of the lack of integrity. That's why they call them broken homes. There's a lack of integrity. It doesn't hold together anymore. It's just a really big deal. So here's how I want to end the message, and it could be painful. This is not a happy message. I'm sorry. Unless you feel like you have integrity, and that's good. But we've got to grow in this, right? So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you seven questions. They're integrity check questions for you and for me to wrestle with in our own lives. If you want to grow in your integrity, these are the questions that I want you to wrestle with. By the way, if you're going, well, where did these come from? They came from right here. They came from experience. I didn't, I didn't, I wish I could blame it on some doctor and then it had more credibility. So if they don't sound credible to you, then make up your own. Here we go. Number one, do I tell the truth? Am I committed to truth? I'm not saying rudeness. I'm saying truth, right? Do I follow through? Are my yeses yes and my noes no? This is what Scripture says. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. When I say I do do something, do I do it? Do I show up on time? Do I give full effort to what I'm doing? Do Do I leave in a timely manner as well? Do I have boundaries in my life? But do I get the things done to the people I make commitments? Do I make promises I don't keep? 
This is, do I follow through? It's integrity. And if the answer is no, I promise you, you're losing influence. And I'm going to lose influence. Am I afraid I will be found out? I showed this to someone before and they go, Because it speaks of, am I keeping secrets? Am I authentic? Am I transparent? Am I, am I, you know, I'm not afraid of you guys finding out my faults because I tell them all to you, right? And it's sort of a little defense mechanism. I don't have anywhere to fall from. There's no pedestal because I already told you I've screwed up all the time and I'm learning and I'm growing like you are and expect more of it and I'm going to hurt you. I'm going to rub you the wrong way. It's not to get away with it. It's just because I don't want to be found out later that I'm, I tried to be something I'm not. Right? And this, this is sort of related to it. Am I the same person regardless of context? I mean, I remember in high school, I was a different person depending on who I was with. To the teachers, I was one person. To my friends on Friday night, I was one person. To my other friends who were high academic students, I was another person. To, to my Sunday school class or my church people, I behaved another way. To my relatives and to my parents, I, I thought I was fooling people. I was just doing the splits all over the place. I had no idea who I was, which one was really me because I was doing all this chameleon stuff everywhere. One of the things that, that is important to me is that when I step up here and I'm talking to you, I picture us in a living room talking because I want to be the same person whether I'm here or in my office or you see me you know, at a restaurant or working out or somewhere else. I, I don't want you to go, wow, you know, Doug was a nice guy when he's on stage but he's such a jerk to his family. Are you the same person regardless of context? Am I using others? Are people just a way for me to get to my end? It's dehumanizing. It's inauthentic relationships. That doesn't mean they're win-win. I think all great relationships have winning aspects for everybody. Right? Six, am I aware of my faults, weaknesses, and temptations? If you're not aware, um, you're in great danger. You, you, you need to know what your temptations are. You need to know what your faults are. You need to know what your weaknesses are. If you sat down and had to write them out and you struggle, you, I'm going to tell you that you're, you're not seeing yourself clearly and you need to go to somebody who will tell you the truth and help you learn some things you don't know about yourself, and your nature of incredible arrogance. If you can go, you know what, I'm, I'm not saying I'm beat up by my faults, but I own them. I know my weaknesses, my tendencies, and I know some of my temptations. I have to be on guard for those things. Last one. Am I living in forgiveness and grace? See, the first six could beat you up so horribly. But the good news is Christ died for all those weaknesses, all those temptations, all those faults. And I'm not asking you to live like, I'm such a bad person. Doug, really, God showed me how bad I was. And that's not it. It's, look how forgiven we are. But also, let's embrace where God wants to bring us. He doesn't want us to live low-influence lives. And love will get us part way there, but it won't get us all the way. We have to add to it a couple things. And one of them is integrity. Character matters. And as followers of Jesus, those of us who are following Jesus, we want to you know, influence the world, we want to convince the world, we want to change lives. 
Integrity is going to come to play. It's going to be part of, part of what determines how much we can influence other people. I already told you, if I train wreck it, there's a whole bunch of people at church are gone. Right? If you train wreck it, I promise you, the closer it is to the middle, the worse it's going to be. Right? If you train wreck your lives, those of you who are, if you're parents and you're going, I want to raise my kids up to follow Jesus, and I'm just going to go for the, the biggest one. You know, you're cheating on your spouse, and when they find out, I promise you, they'll go, what a joke. And everything you've worked so hard for to have a place of influence in your life is going to be cast aside in a minute. This, this is a big deal. So back to whom would you like to influence? Starting place, of course, it's love. But we've got to add to it integrity. And God's dream for every single one of us, me too, is to learn to live above reproach. Right? Which means, man, be worthy of trusting. Live lives. And, and, and when you screw up, own it. Because it's still, it's not like you're done. It's just you've got to recover from it and rebuild. Now, before we leave, Here's the flip side to this message, just like last week. Last week, I told you, God wants to influence us. So if, if you're keeping God at a distance, and I'm not saying you're rejecting God, I'm saying you just go, that's close enough, God. Last week, I told you that it's because you don't understand how much he loves you. That's why I do it. And I still do it. I go, God, that's close enough. And it's just, I forget. If I let him get close, I'm afraid. If I let him have more of his way, I still want to do my way. I just don't understand. It means I don't understand how deeply he loves us. But the next thing is just as true. He is worthy of all our trust. When you read through scripture over and over, the message of the Bible is God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. God never changes. His love never fails. There's no sin that you've, you can't play in dirt, dirty enough for him to reject you. He absolutely loves you. He will help you become the person you're meant to be. He is worthy of all your trust. He is the loving Father, and we are the children, becoming more and more like him. Let's pray. God, I hate this message. I hate those seven questions because they didn't come they didn't come to me from someone else. They came out of my own life, wrestling with my own stuff, my own need for growing character, growing integrity. Would you give me a deeper love? And would you raise up my integrity? Would you help me to learn to live above reproach? I know it won't be sinless. But would you help me be a man who pursues the right things? Who is faithful to you and to the people that I'm committed to? My wife being number one. My kids, my family. My friends places that I work and volunteer. God, I want to be an influence. I want to influence people who are on a journey with you and those who have held up their hand and said, no closer. I don't want them to miss out.
and I don't want to disqualify myself from influence. And a whole bunch of us, God, are probably saying, me too, me too. So we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We got Chinese food tonight, so come to eat with us.